Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here. Hey, thanks for joining me another episode of Strategy Mob. I like saying that in my announcer type voice. Do you guys like my radio announcer voice? Guys, the jokes don't get much better than this. Seriously, like (laughs) jump in at any time. Not just messing with you. Hey, great. (laughs) Thanks. Hey, guys, for everyone out there watching, listening right now, I have two very special guests today. I have the one and only Miss Ruby Louie. And I have all the way from the other side of the globe, the Kieran Stacks. I'm just going to call you the Kieran from now on. Is that okay? Just it has to be the Kieran. Is that okay? Sounds good, Jason. He's like, like, you're the host. You can do whatever you want. No. Um, Hey, guys. uh, I think the great way to kind of kick off this podcast is uh, some origin stories. So people that are listening kind of know uh, your background and how you got started in the industry. So, Ruby, I will start with you. How did you get started in the automotive industry? Well, it's quite interesting. I've been in the automotive industry for over 20 years now. Um, I started when I was actually in school trying to pay my way out of university doing part-time administrative work. And uh, it wasn't meant to be a career. I studied philosophy and sociology as my undergrad degree at UT. And I thought, I'm gonna be a lawyer. That's why I wanted to study philosophy. I wanna learn how to argue both sides. Um, I even bought my LSAT book, going to study. Then next thing you know is I'm getting more and more intrigued with how the automotive business works. And I said, you know what? I'm going to commit myself to do this. And if I'm doing this, I'm going all the way. And back then, there weren't a lot of female GM. I I think up till now, there weren't a lot of female GM. Ruby, there still isn't Um, a lot. So, yeah. So, but there there are more now than than where I came from 20 years ago. And so, yeah, one way, one thing led to another. I completed my um, university degree and I got a full-time gig at a Honda dealership becoming FSM. And from then on, just progressed as a sales manager, general sales manager, then general manager, uh, completed my NADA and also completed my MBA um, two years ago. So I'm just continuing. Yeah, I'm just going to continue to learn. And that hasn't stopped. So that's my background in short, in a nutshell. That's that's cool. And and I am glad that you decided to choose this industry. Um, you know, I find it so funny when people get into this industry. It's like very seldom do people just kind of like grow up one day and as a nine year old person decide I'm going to be in the automotive industry. I think all of us kind of fall into it one way or another. You know, that's such a common, common way to describe how we get into it. Hey, Kieran, um, how did you fall into the automotive industry? <laughs> fall or destiny i'm not sure which it is but i, I love <laughs> what i do and i and i've been in for quite a while as well similar to ruby again starting at a young age prior to uni just working in 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 auto auto stores so just selling car parts and so forth and moving to uni i studied automotive engineering and coming out of uni i i became a parts advisor with bmw moving into parts manager role with nissan and then moving over here to Australia in 2013, nearly seven years ago, and working with a range of brands and basically doing every single role in after sales. So after sales, fixed operations, uh, parts manager, service advisor, service manager, fixed operations manager, and then moving into the role I'm in at the moment, which is a coach and trainer for one of the biggest auto, 
with premium automotive manufacturers in the world. So, yeah, we're doing. I'm, I'm following my destiny, and and this is the this is the track I'm on. So I'm enjoying it. It's a cool day. ride, man. It's a totally cool yeah. ride. And uh, are you itching right now to like get out of the house? I mean, because I know you're a road warrior. You spend a lot of time on the road, like I do too. And it's just like I haven't been locked in a house for this long for a long period of time. Like I got something to admit to you guys. I haven't put shoes on in two weeks. Like I've like my, I, I, this is the longest period I've ever just kind of walked around with no shoes on. I don't know if that's a good thing admit or not, but, um, actually what about get, your pants? <laughs> well, a good thing today is not Friday. Let's just say that because I do have a no pants policy on Friday. <laughs> it's, it's all professional here. Nothing but just cash down here. <laughs> that's That's actually a good segue though, guys, into my next question for you is, kind of what is your current norm and i'm and, you know being you know in the two different positions that you guys are and the two different countries you guys are i would love to kind of dive into that so ruby i'll start with you you know what's your current norm look like well it's interesting you ask that because what is the definition of norm i think for the past 60 days yeah for the past 60 days we have been trying to redefine the definition of norm I guess we're trying to adapt and trying to evolve to what really makes sense to our consumers, how consumers want to be handled, how consumers want us to interact with them. Um, last month, our dealerships were forced to shut down, so we were operating everything online. So we adapted using digital platforms to engage with our customer. We've never seen our internet engagement as high as in a 70%. We were converting at over 20%. Like that is something we've never seen. So we were hyper, yeah, we were hyper focused on how to engage. We have a different strategy of how to engage. Now that we're allowed to open up, um, again, I don't think there's going to be a big change. Just because we are allowed to open up, it doesn't mean that we're going to, our dealership is going to get flooded with a lineup of customers wanting to buy cars. Mm. Uh, we're going to continue to handle our customer the same way they want to be handled. Uh, appointments. Ask them what's the best way they want to interact. Is it going to be online? Is it going to be internet? Is it going to be in person? Let them choose. Let them dictate. And that is the new norm that we're handling right now. I think for a lot of people, that's kind of the case right now, especially here in Ontario, because it's just it's been kind of all over the place for us as far as what we can and can't do. And it seems like sometimes it changes on a, a weekly and sometimes you know daily basis. But I, I'm with you, Ruby. I mean, you know. Just because we're now open, you know, we can have people come into our dealership doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be flocking to our dealership. The consumers yeah. changed a lot. And uh, I know we're going to get into that topic about how the consumer has changed. But, you know, Kiran, I want to kind of hear from you what's your current norm look like. My current norm is something that's been totally different to what I've been doing for the last what, 15, 20 years. It's what about about a month ago or so we a few of us from the training center were, were asked to take some time off slash told to take some time off which is which is fine again not abnormal in this industry in this world right now so i happily took some time off and i've been again my role is still a coach and trainer of my five and six year old and currently homeschooling the kids and keeping them yeah, keeping them on the straight and narrow. So I've been doing basic literacy, basic numeracy, and keeping all keeping the show on the road <laughs> from a kids' ed, kids' education perspective. 
and obviously my two younger ones as well. I'm looking after them as well. So four kids in the house. My wife goes out to work, and when she does come back, I lock myself away and and spend. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So you, you went you went from coaching big babies or big kids <laughs> to now smaller <laughs> kids. Come on. We're talking about the service side of the business. All right. I can say it. I know you can't, but there are some babies in the service side of our business <laughs> for sure. But man, that's, that, that's, that's a lot of work. I mean, look, you know, dealing with the kids, uh, I, don't get me wrong. I love my kids. <laughs> I really do. But um, being this close to them, for this many hours on such a regular basis. And I feel bad for them too. I mean, I think they want to like kill me as much as I want to kill them. Like <laughs> right, right now, just out, just on the other side of that door right there, there's a flashing light going off to let everybody know not to open it because dad's inside doing a podcast. But like, this is what kind of like, this is my now current norm. It's, you know, it's, I, I go downstairs and I, you know, sit around the water cooler and I talk about Pokemon. And why, you know, why, why my son's, you know, da uh, sister just punched him in the face, you know, that's the that different type of water cooler talk that that's what it different is. Different type uh, of HR, Ruby, different type of HR. It is definitely <laughs> for sure. Um, <laughs> hey guys, let's, let's get into kind of the, the girth of our conversation today, which uh, has a lot to do with how the industry is going to adapt and also how the customer, I think, has fundamentally changed. And I think that's actually where I'd like to start is kind of getting both of your guys' thoughts and opinion on how the customer has changed going through, you know, COVID-19. Ruby, I'll start with you. And then Karen, I'll ask you the same question. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, in the very beginning stage, when we were uh, forced to shut down, we had customers that were, I mean, in Canada, especially specifically, we were we were told mixed messages in terms of how to handle COVID-19. In the very beginning stage, we were told not to wear masks, not to wear face covering. And then from now, the government today just stated, please wear face covering. So our customer also changed their behavior. From the very beginning, when you know we were handling our customer, they were freaked out if we were wearing masks. But now they're offended if we're not wearing masks and going the extra mile with doing the PPE and so forth. So like you said, you know, Jason, it's constantly changing, constantly adapting. And how they want to be interacted is completely different now. We, we give them options. We tell them, listen, if you want to, like, as soon as we have an internet lead that come in, we always give them options. What is the best way to communicate with you? Is it going to be phone, email, or one of our digital favorite platforms, Zoom, Google Hangouts, or FaceTime? And let them dictate what's, the, what's their best way, their comfort level. And then we just take it from then on. And I think people respect that. I mean, the traditional way, I mean, I call it traditional way, where it's really literally just 60 days ago, where when we see an internet lead just came, came in with a phone number, what do, we, what do we always do, Jason? We immediately pick up the phone and call them, right? <laughs> or we hide. And no, yeah, this is no longer the case. We get an internet lead, there's a phone number. We don't call them first because they engage with us on the internet. We want to respect the way how they want to be communicate. So we ask them and they actually respect that. Interestingly enough, nine out of 10 times, they rather just communicate either email, text, or one of the digital platforms. They don't want us to call them, even though they leave their number there. <clears throat> so I think the way we've been adapting, it's we have to just really listen and be open-minded and not be stuck in the old ways. And even now we're, we're no longer tracking 
the traffic like we were. I mean, what traffic? There is no traffic. We're looking at really the amount of leads coming in, internet, right? The, the engagement rate, the phone, the phone and so forth. And I think it, it has really transformed the way we've been doing business over the 60 days. And, and I was saying that to you earlier offline is I don't even know if it's right to say, but in the midst of this chaos, I am actually really excited about what's going on right now because I hope I'm not offending anybody because I know there are a lot of people that are sequestered in their home and they're still afraid of what's going on. But having said that, this has really opened up our eyes to understand, hey, you know what? There is a different way of doing business. We 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 understand corporately and a business model perspective. There are just so many things we we wanted to do with a lot less, with a, for a lot more. If that makes any sense, doing oh, a lot yeah, more with a lot less. That's what I that's what I meant to say. And and that itself has completely transformed the way we do business. And and I'm just excited with the upcoming changes. No, it, it you know it's cool. I mean. As an industry, look, we're not necessarily known for changing and changing quickly. If you've been in the automotive industry long enough, you know we like to shuffle our feet a lot when it comes to changing and adapting to new technologies. And in 60 days, I mean, I will say this, you know, and I do a lot of hard love to our industry, you know, but I will give everyone a huge round of applause because as an industry, in 60 days, we made changes that we haven't made in 10 years. I mean, that's how, I mean, we did it like that. I mean, dealerships were forced to communicate in ways that previously they just refused to. I mean, look, there were still some dealerships out there doing video, but that wasn't their first go-to. You know, now it's like every single person is, the, to your point, Ruby, you were saying it's like, that's the first thing they're thinking of, right? I'm going to respond to this person. Okay, I better get ready to do a video with them. You know, so it's like the yeah. customers change. And as an industry, I feel like overall, we've done a very good job of adapting to that change, which is exciting um, at the same time, you know, but it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of develops over over the next eight to 12 or 14 months. Uh, Kieran, for you, you know, on kind of the service side of it, how do you see the service customer kind of fundamentally change? Has their expectations of us changed, you know, because of COVID-19? I believe it's definitely changed. Absolutely. Again, a lot of fear and uncertainty from a customer perspective, but also from a dealership perspective as well. Because you've got people at the dealership who are human beings, the same as you are and everyone else, who have families, who've got, who've got houses, they've got relations, they've got lives outside of work, which they're concerned about based on the health risks, about carrying something with them that they might contract at work. And it's it's, it's scary and on, on many levels. Again, seeing, again, from the comfort of my own home, seeing what other dealerships, even though I visited a dealership yesterday, other dealerships, what dealerships are doing overseas with these big plastic face or plastic uh, or purpose paneling in front of them, and then another two, two meter gap in front of them as well. Again, that's, that's caring for the customer, that's caring for the situation. Again, it's going to be interesting to see how that mellows out in the coming months and whether we're still going to have to do all that on for the rest of time it's, it's very bizarre again i'm hearing a lot about about cancellations of bookings of no shows so people just literally not showing up for their appointment and it's very very difficult as you guys will will, will attest to that you, you can't 
how many technicians do I need today? How many service advisors do I need today? How much stock do I need today in my parts department for what's coming in? It's very, very bizarre. And, and, and to match that, it's not just about the dealerships, it's about the independent mechanical shops who are struggling as well because their customers aren't calling them. And then obviously the knock-on effects with parts purchases from, from dealerships and from motor stores is significantly down, significantly. Uh, as well as that, of there's, there's no cars in the road. Well, very, very few cars in the road. And when there's no cars in the road, there's no, there's no crashes, there's no bingles. So there's no parts being sold as a result of that as well, which puts a lot of stress on the, on the, on the panel game as well. So. You, you know, the one thing though, I actually see there, and I don't hear a lot of people talking about it is, is Kieran, you know, with a lot of cars sitting on lots right now, and you know, and Ruby, you know this too, from, you know, having a car sit on a lot too long, like there's gonna be a lot of lot rot. I mean, I think I think a lot of dealerships are going to have to be replacing brakes and pads and tires with flat, you know, with flat out spaces on them because they've just been sitting. I mean, they just cars aren't designed to sit for months on end, you know, never move, you know. So it, it it's going to be interesting how the parts side of the business kind of ramps up, and then I think it's going to be even more so interesting how the service side of the business ramps up. You know, I mean, as a consumer, um, you know, a lot of my you know, retail experiences have fundamentally changed. You know, I go to the grocery store. Before I go to the grocery store, I, I do this. You know, I jump on this app and I go do, 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 and here are the 15 things I want. And I pull up and the hatch opens up. I throw it inside and I drive away. And I'm like, damn, that was easy. What the hell was I going to grocery store with three kids before? That's a stupid idea. You know, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning all these new, you know, efficiencies that I'm going to get accustomed to. I'm like, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I'll go back into a grocery store again. Like, unless it's like a last minute emergency kind of a thing, I will just mm -hmm. do my order and that's it. Um, I called my local Nissan dealership to uh, do my winter tires. I still have my winter tires on uh, um, on my car. Karen, yes, we have to use winter tires. Here. I don't know what that is. I know, I know. <laughs> There's specific tires just for snow. That's that white stuff. Um, anyways, <laughs> it's cold. Um, but I just, I had to get, I still have my winter tires on, so I had to get them, I had to get them replaced. And I called up the dealership and they said, okay, cool. You know, we have a few options for you. I was like, oh, okay, what do you got? Uh, well, you can bring the vehicle in for us and just drop off the key and we'll service it. And then we can do a remote payment so that all of that, you don't even have to walk in. I said, all right, that's cool. Um, or we can actually pick up the vehicle for you, uh, do it and then bring it back. And I said, all right, that's cool. Or we can, or we have a third option. We'll pick up the vehicle, drop off one of our vehicles. Uh, so you're not without a vehicle. Which one do you need? Now there was a cost associated with each of them. You know, I, I'm not driving the car regularly, so I paid for the $30 option, you know, for them to just come pick up the car, take it back, and do the tire swap. And then they asked me if I wanted a um, a sanitized detail package for $79.99. I'm like, absolutely, let's do one of those too. Let's get that vehicle sanitized. But like, these are all things that I would have never thought. Like, I would have never thought in my wildest dreams someone was going to offer me a sanitized detail package. Didn't even think of that, right? But these are all the new things that customers are having to think about. Um, so I think that's still going to continue to happen. I think that customers' expectations of how they're engaging with retail is like their expectations for me. And this is kind of my thought. And I want to hear you guys' thought on this is that, you know, we're here now. Their expectations of how mm -hmm. retail works is like up here. 
you know they're, they're getting to the point now it's like why can't you be frictionless like amazon why can't you you know be like uber eats where i can just tap buttons and you come do this but i'd love to kind of get your guys's thoughts on that um from an operations perspective how do we meet the the, the new customers expectations mm-hmm. ruby i'll start with you and then kieran i'll ask you the same question well, it's interesting you said that, Jason. I, I mean, I don't know if our customer's expectation has really, you know, raised the bar because I think we have a pretty bad name as, as an automotive industry. They don't usually trust us, right? So they don't, ex- they, they don't have that expectation from that we will be able to do everything like the Amazons and the Uber because everything we say to them, it's like, huh, really? They have to second guess and really... You know, so I think I think for us right now is actually we are the one that we need to raise the bar for them in terms of what we offer. So when you were mentioning about your your service scenario, I bet you were never you didn't expect that from a dealership will offer you three options, but they but they raise the bar. They want to make sure you know that this is what they're offering. I think I think customers are a little bit shocked at the same time. Like I I am doing a lot of videos every day to to interact with my customer. Even they're like, oh, that's nice. And when we're presenting trades, right, they always, always, always say, oh, the trade is too low. The trade is too low. So it's no longer the case where I'm going to do a video presentation and show them how we appraise a vehicle using a third-party analytics. And they see how everything is being, being arrived at. And they're like, you know what? Well, that makes sense. They feel everything is a lot more transparent now. So we actually need to reestablish, you know, the trust for them to say, you know what, we are like Amazon, Uber. and I, But I think we're so far from Amazon and Uber just because we just have a stigma in the industry that, you know, we're not a trusted um, well, industry it, where people is, want is to it the tra- with. Is it the transparency that I think we can yeah. strive to achieve? Do you, do you know what I mean? I mean, one of the things, I, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I don't take taxis. Um, I'll only take an Uber because of the transparency that I get with the transaction. Like I know exactly how much it will cost me to get from point A to point B, all right? I get notifications of how far the person's away. I, I can see on the map to, to know that they're going the right direction. So, you know, I wonder if that's what it is, is that now the customers have this expectation of transparency. Ruby, what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I think transparency also goes to show it gives customers the control. When customers feel like they're in control of the entirety of, be our strategy or what we call our process, they feel like they can engage better with us. If we don't give that to them, and you know how traditionally when customers ask for a price, we don't give them a price. We make it so difficult for, for us to give them any price. Yeah, come down to the dealership. We'll discuss pricing. No, we got to throw that out. We give them what they want and they're going to shop us anyways, regardless. So we have to explain to them for example, for a pre-owned car, why we price the way we price. When we give them all the data and it makes sense, create a very logical case, most people will actually go, that makes sense. They will actually understand where we're coming from. It's just giving customer that control with us being transparent. I think that in itself, it's something that, like you said, this is nothing new to us, right? We, we know all of this. We've just been confronted with COVID-19 and all of a sudden, it's a huge wake-up call for everybody to act and adapt. And um, it's either you want to be daring or you want to be desperate, right? We want to be daring. That's what we want to do. 
And so this is something we have adapted. And, and I'm that, this is why I say this is an exciting time in a business perspective, especially in the automotive industry. No, for sure. I mean, Kieran, how do you kind of see the, the service operations having to change to kind of meet, you know, the customer's expectations? I mean, I know from, a, from, from the BMW perspective, you know, as a, as a manufacturer, you guys have always kind of held that bar higher than, let's say, others. But I mean, really, it's even what's that next level? What's your thoughts, Kieran, on how the uh, service operations has to make changes? Daring or desperate. I really like that, Ruby. And I think it's a good one. The <laughs> the fixed operations or after sales side of the business definitely needs to be daring and not desperate. However, yes, our customers' expectations have changed. I don't think they've risen exactly. I think they've kind of shifted to somewhere along the side because it's not the same. Business is not the same as it was six, 60 days ago, as you said. It's, it's different. It's significantly different. As I said, there's a lot of things happening in our industry with those, as I said, perspex shielding, two meter distancing, maps around a dealership that you can't go here, it's a one-way one way street, et cetera. That's really bizarre. And if we want to be offering our customers an experience, do we really need to make them robots? Or it's, it's really strange. I really hope this doesn't last for the next other than a couple of months just to make sure we get rid of this thing in terms of how we need to be helping our customers and adapting differently and being that daring industry and not desperate which i really like I've written that one down really <laughs> i'll put your foot beside <laughs> it that's um, awesome again and i I, re I refer to to brian bedstock of paragon honda in new york and he's been a game changer i, I, I read about what he was doing well over a year ago, I said, that's a great idea. It'll never kick on in our, industry, in, our, in, in our industry because it's too hard and it's too different. And because it's something that we've never done before, which is, if the listeners aren't aware, um, Paragon Honda and Acura, which is not sure is it a competitor of yours, Ruby, probably not, but different country. But <laughs> again, definitely a forerunner in the industry. And they've arranged a pickup drop-off service for thousands of customers and they don't charge anything for it. So the customers aren't coming to the dealership. They're getting their cars picked up in the comfort of their own homes and getting it returned conversations via video or via phone or whatever means that the customer requests. And it's just easy, transparent as you refer to. And it, it just makes sense to the customer. Just like you mentioned, Jason, you're never gonna to go to the grocery store again because why would you bother? We wanna make doing business with us easy. And I think the service side of the industry is, is it's never been it's never been a more opportune time to do something like this. So I'm looking forward to to seeing how how the service side of the business pivots in that regard. And in regards to spare parts, as I said, again, a big hit from the spare parts side of things. Again, spare parts is more of a of a reactionary side of the business where you don't sell panel until there's a bingle. You don't sell brakes until they're required, et cetera. And I think that's things that needs to shift as well. We're not going to have panel shops looking to just call us up, implementing different on online online systems to make sure we're, again, that's already in, in most 
in, in, in most parts of the industry, but mostly most of the mechanical side of the business is where there's opportunities to, to streamline that and to make it more efficient across the across the networks. Well, and I'm finding communication, like when I think of efficiency, like, look guys, as an industry, we haven't always been known to have the best communication uh, with, with customers. And I mean, if that is, I think if there's one thing that they definitely expect, that is probably the biggest thing that they now expect is that we don't just communicate, that we over communicate. I mean, I don't want to buy a car from you or service a car from you unless I know exactly what are the one through 12 steps that I'm required as a, as a consumer to take, you know, to come and do business with you. I mean, I, I ordered something from Walmart the other day and I got this beautiful email that lined out the five steps that I need to take when I pulled up to the Walmart. And I was like, I had to go in this line. I had to call this person. I had to, and I was like, wow, that's, that's really good because then I showed up to the place confident as a consumer where I needed to go, what I needed to do. And that's not something that as an industry we're never necessarily really good at, but it's something that we have to get good at like super fast, um, both on the sales and on the service side. So that's actually going to lead me into my next question for you guys is, you know, what should we be communicating, you know, to our customers right now? And I know we could say something right now and then two weeks from now we might be, it may not even be relevant. You know, that's, that's how fast things are moving right now. But, you know, um, Ruby, for yourself, like what are some of the key things that you feel are necessary to communicate to customers right now? I think first thing and foremost, it um, doesn't matter if the customer reach out to us, either Internet or phone or they walk in. One of the things we do at Drive Auto Group is our introduction. Our introduction goes like this. Hi, my name is Ruby. You know, have you been here before? Or, or welcome to Acra Pickering. Have you been here before? No, great. Well, do you mind if I take a minute to explain you my role here at the store? Sure. Well, my job here is to get you all the information you need, help you select the right vehicle. Ultimately, you're making the decision, not us, and we are prepared to take as much or as little time as you need. Sounds fair? And we use that script, be it internet, phone, or showroom visits. And that gives customer that, okay, that's great. You know what? I can take as much as time as I need. And we're able to pick up the process where they, they left off. And I think that to me is more relevant to them because again, we're adapting to them. We want to offer them that right service at where they're at. Maybe, maybe they only have 20 minutes. Maybe they only have 15 minutes and we will adapt to that. I think that's, um, and it's interesting you were mentioning about groceries because I mean, we were, we were in a conference call the other day with the whole group. And one of the things that, our director of operations said, if there's one thing you can change at a grocery store in terms of the shopping cart, what would you do? How would you modify the shopping cart? Everybody answered. And some people said, we'll make it bigger. We'll make it, you know, we'll make it so forth. And then, but the really truly is we want to eliminate the shopping cart. We don't want to touch the shopping cart now. Why can't we just buy our groceries, pick up curbside or whatever you said at Walmart, make it easier, deliver right to your home. I think it's the same thing as people buying cars. We have to eliminate the shopping cart and the whole entirety of the sale process. Why make it complicated for a customer? Why do they have to go through all that process just because we were taught to meet, greet, test drive, selection, all that stuff? Maybe they don't want to test drive the car. Maybe they don't want to go over 
to service. Like we need to just adapt and make it make sense. That's why we were able to engage and have a higher internet conversion because most of the time people just kind of know what they want as long as they're provided with all the data they're willing to transact. So we have to redefine that whole entirety of process. Don't make it complicated, right? Eliminate the shopping cart. No, but you're absolutely right. I mean, we have to be willing to meet the customer with their needs, not our needs. And see that that's a fundamental mind shift for our industry in general, right? Yeah. Like it's like, oh, you you want to buy a car, right? Okay, you're going to do it my way. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the way it's always been, right? Oh, you want to service your car? That's cool. Here are my hours. You know, like there's just yeah. there's never been, you know, any options. And now I find as an industry, um, if anything, we are having to communicate to the to our customers that we're willing to let you drive more of this process than we ever have in the past. You know, either we're kind of forced to, or now we're opening our eyes and realizing this is always the way it should have been. But regardless, let's let that customer get into the driver's seat. And I think that's for sure one of the key pieces of communication that has to come out from a dealership. Um, Kieran, for you, anything you'd like to add to that as far as what is key uh, communication efforts right now during this time frame to our existing customers? Well, Ruby has alluded to the the transactional, with respect, the transactional side of the business, which is the purchase of a car, which is a single single purchase, and hopefully a repeat purchase in the future. However, the service side of the business is is transactional once at least once a year, if not twice. So it's a lot more repeat business and repeat business can only happen through relationship, in my opinion. Otherwise, it's just processing a customer and then it's transactional and then there's, any, anyone can do it. So in conversations with a couple of the high performers that I'm pretty close to in this industry, I'm getting their perspective on a few things. And what's gonna happen now is that we're gonna see a weeding out of the, of the low performers. And I think the high performers will remain and those somewhere in the middle, we need to step up to the plate and really and really achieve. So in terms of the relationship side of things, we've always been, again, Jason, you and I did a podcast six months ago and we, we spoke about in depth about relationships. Isn't that crazy that so, was six months ago? God, it feels like six years ago with time now these days. <laughs> You've been busy since then, Jason. <laughs> but in, 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 in regards to that building, building rapport, building relationship, you can't touch, you can't feel, you can't get in there personal space, if you will. And that's totally changed. Totally changed within o- overnight. Like at the dealership I was at yesterday, I was like, uh, they put their hand out, elbow out, knee out. Like, how do you actually, it's just weird. It's just so strange. It's going to come in a bubble, dude. It's just going to yeah, be a plastic it's, bubble. It's bounce off each other. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how, the, how the service advisor will interact or what the, what the future of the service advisor looks like is is unprecedented at the moment. Are we going to move to a, a kiosk system? Again, I'm not sure what you guys run Ruby at, at your store. Or are we going to stay with just the high performers? Like some dealerships have, some some service advisors haven't, haven't returned yet or may, may never return because they were probably the ones that the customers didn't like or whatever it is. But the, the ones who are, who are still smashing it or were smashing it pre-COVID are, are still doing okay today. and 
again the future of the service advisor what it looks like is going to be is going to change in the next few months in my opinion the introduction of kiosks across the board is inevitable i hate to say it but that's what our customers want and we need to be customer centric in everything we do not just assuming that our customers still want to be met in the driveway walk around told how crap their car is told how much they need to spend and then the anxiety which was already in them on the way in is now through the roof and they can't say no and they can't do anything about it we just don't want to make our customers uncomfortable and then they disappear into the aftermarket that's not what we want so adapting to what the customers needs and wants are today is crucial and today i mean right now on the 21st of may or whatever day it is where you are <laughs> we need to adapt to what it is today not just assume and that's the problem well and, and that's exactly what that is at an absolute must of what we have to communicate. Like the customer has to be able to know how they can engage with us. Um, you know, we do have, um, I have probably about 15% of my clients use those kiosks and um, they, they do, some are doing really well with them. Some still quite haven't figured it out. Here's the kicker with technology though. And here's what I find is that there is no diet pills out there. There is no 12 minute abs when it comes to a good solid process. Uh, dealerships moving forward are gonna have to process their way to profitability. So even if you do decide to pull the trigger and get that fancy kiosk, it does not mean it fixes your problems. You had a broken process before you got the kiosk, you still got a broken process now. But that's why I'm finding that we're having to communicate, right? That's the key of the communication efforts to our service customers and to our sales customers, like Ruby was saying, is, is what is that process? You know, it's like if you are going to use a kiosk, that's cool. But then, you know, what are the extra touch points after that? And that's that over communication, which I think is absolutely must right now. And I think we'll continue. I don't think that's going to change. I think that that level of over communication will continue to exist. And I find the dealerships that will be most successful and profitable will be the ones that will embrace that that level of over communication and will continue to do so. Now, speaking on the topic communication. I got another question for you guys. Um, communication to our employees and staff. Like I, I have to admit it. I, I, I don't feel as an industry, this is one that we did a, a very good job on. <laughs> I think we actually did a pretty darn decent job of communicating to our customers. But our staff and our employees, um, I'm kind of split. I'm finding it's kind of a 50-50 out there, right? Like 50% of dealerships are doing a good job of communicating with their staff, the ones that are working and the ones that are furloughed or laid off. Um, and then the other 50% are just kind of sticking their heads in the sand and their, their fingers in their ears going, la, 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 and just waiting until this whole thing blows over. Um, but again, it just as important is that we communicate to our customers. I think maybe even more so it's incredibly important to communicate to our staff and our employees on a regular basis. And uh, my question to you guys is, what should we be communicating uh, to our staff and employees right now? And how often should we be doing so? Ruby, I'll start with you. Then Kiran, I'll ask you the same question. Well, I can only speak for my group here. I mean, I, I have to um, I have to applaud um, what we're doing right now. I mean, over the course of 60 days, we meet every day over Teams meeting. Uh, we have a 10 o'clock huddle with all the senior management across the enterprise with the director of op operations. And we go over our business strategy daily. We call out the activities that each store performs, not so much of the result, but the activities we need to do to attain the results. And for my particular store, I, I meet with my team. We have a check-in meeting and a checkout meeting. 
again, also meet virtually via Teams. And we're all, all we're talking about is what's changing every day and what we need to continue to focus on as a current strategy. And and I think I think the best way, you know, through this difficult time, you know, it's important to to see that even even in countries, right, you will see what's a good leadership and what's a leadership that's lacking out there, right? And and quite frankly, I think um, being in a leadership position for my own particular store is that that communication piece is vital. You have to you have to know the pulse of the dealership as well as the pulse of the emotions of the employees and the staff, because these are the people you work with. And if they have no directions, everybody become lost doing their own thing. And we can't do that. We have to move in all in the same pace, the same time. So I would, I would say minimum daily, twice a day, if not three times a day. And it doesn't have to be a long drawn out meeting. It could be just a quick meeting, but hey, you want to check in with your people every day. And I think um, that piece is, it's good you asked that. And I, I just wanted to circle back to Kiran earlier about the whole um, service component. Um, I, I agree with you that will actually change. Um, for our business strategy right now, we're looking into a single point contact with our brand ambassador, whom, whom is essentially AKA as salespeople. Um, they will be the one that's handling actually the service customer. That retention piece is very important and very imperative. We wanted to be able to not just sell them a car, but how we're going to look after them after they purchase a car from us. And they will handle the interaction from cradle to grave, including the whole service piece. So they will be the main kind of main point of contact on servicing the car. All they got to say is just call me, I'll book your service appointment. You don't have to call service. I'll look after everything. And we wanted to see our customer at least twice a year, right, to keep that retention up. And um, kiosk or no kiosk, one of the things that I think is interesting is that you look, you go to Disney or you go to any amusement park now, and people tend to use apps to buy tickets for a faster lineup. So, if like 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 Jason said, it doesn't matter if it's a kiosk or an app. If we can nail the strategy and the communication piece with our customer then you are going to be way better performer than the other stores that haven't nailed that part. So I think um, that is something really good for, good for thought for, you know, everyone in the industry as well. I, you know what? I, I'm with you. I, I think daily conversation with our team helps keep morale and, and it really it ensures that our staff knows the direction that we're heading in. And as leaders of any type of ship and business, you know, like we, everyone needs to be communicated the direction that we're heading and it makes everyone feel more comfortable, more confident. And I find that flows into their communication efforts with the customers. Um, Ruby, I love the fact that you guys are communicating daily. That's absolutely awesome. And uh, man, talk about daring, like, you mm -hmm. know, like I love what you're doing, you know, as far as like, you know, Service advisor, salesperson, F&I manager. I'm going to stick them together in a blender, and I'm going to come out with this beautiful smoothie that everyone's going to enjoy. <laughs> but no, I, I'm, I'm with you. Look, I, look, as a customer, you know, the industry may disagree with this in, in a pretty huge way on this one, right? But I actually think as a customer, I love the idea of the person that I spend 
40, 50, 60, $70,000 with is the person that when, you know, a light pops up on my dashboard, I call, you know, him or her and say, I got an issue. My car is doing this. Can you schedule me an appointment? Yeah, absolutely. Mr. Harris, not a problem. We can do that. Like, I like that. You know, it's like, I, you know, right now I feel like when I do buy a car, you know, I'm getting tossed from one department to another. And sometimes like physically tossed like, oh, hey, by the way, let me put you in the F and I box. God, what the fuck do we call it a box for? But anyways, like, you know, and then, and then like, you know, on my way to the delivery of the car. Oh, oh yeah. Just so you know, over there is the service department. Um, yeah, they'll take care of you from now on. I, I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm out. Mic drop. Um, but like the, I, I love that idea of combining that together. I think it's going to be really cool. Hey, Kieran, for uh, for you, you know, what should you know service managers? And I'm going to ask you to put your coach and training hat on for this one. It's like you know, you know, pretend you're in a room with a bunch of service managers and you're telling them like, hey, this is what you need to be communicating with your team. I'm curious what you would say. Interesting. Interesting. So, no, you're okay. You're okay. I'm almost put in the spot. It's all good. Ruby, just kudos, kudos to you guys and what you guys are discussing in terms of the innovations that you guys are thinking about implementing or or have already implemented in terms of how this, the process happens from start to finish. And I really, really like that. And I hope that the industry starts to adapt sooner rather than later to those ideas. So, yeah, kudos to you for that. In terms of leadership, like without leadership, there's no direction, like you said, Ruby. And if we don't know where we're going, we're, yeah, we're never going to get there. As I was, I was reading something last night about, about the future, that you, you can't even think about the future. Again, 60 days ago, we we're all, oh, yeah, the future, yeah, we're going to do this next month. This, that's our forecast for the future, blah, blah, blah. We can't even think about the future now because our, our present is so unstable. So in my opinion, leaders right now, so the managers out of each department out there who are speaking to their staff on a daily basis, as you said, Ruby, and I, I totally agree with that, even twice daily, again, everything is so fluid right now that we need to have our fingers on the pulse, knowing what the news is, knowing what the accurate news is, I mean accurate news, and knowing what the risks are, knowing whether or not to be wearing face shields, as you said yourself, Ruby. Uh, what, whether or not what, what the social distancing measures are, whether we should be having uh, temperature checks at, at the door, etc., for staff as well, because it's not just about protecting the customer; it's about protecting our staff as well, not just from the customer, from, but from each other as well. So, having those conversations, laying out expectations for the staff, and as as one service advisor told me recently, there his his approach to his customers is. I'm going to do everything in my power so that you do not catch COVID-19 from me. I don't have it, but if I had it, I would not pass it on to you. That's how, that's the care I'm going to take. I'm going to give you today and your vehicle. And I thought that was a nice touch, a little bit weird, but again, is it the right, is it the right approach? Who knows what the right approach is right now, but communication is crucial from a top-down perspective, but also having the, having the, ability to have a, a bottom-up approach as well where you are getting insight from how your staff are feeling and again we talk about emotional intelligence quite a lot in some of, some of the courses I run and some of the conversations I have with some of my some of my mentors and some of the people I hang out with 
sounds a little bit boring, but it's <laughs> it's it's so important. We're even covering it in some of some of my kids' prep stuff. So it's uh, some of my prep, some of the stuff that's coming up in school is some of the EQ stuff. So it's it's fascinating that's happening at such a young age. Yeah, no, having your finger on the pulse of what how your staff are feeling is crucial, and you can only do that by communicating with them. With a 1.5 or 2 meter, two meter distance, whatever the social measures are in your in your state or country, not to take that lightly, but it's it's important to have that those meetings with them via Zoom, by via FaceTime on your phone. We've never had such a good opportunity to have these conversations via technology, and utilizing them is crucial. And prioritizing your staff is very very important. And and I think that's ultimately who's going to win, you know. It's, it's that commitment to the staff. Um, you know, I, Karen, I love the fact that you brought up EQ. You know, um, you know, I was actually talking to a recruiter the other day uh, who's been in the business for 20 years. And, you know, just in the last two years, so much of the recruiting efforts have shifted over from not just, um, at, you know, the, the ability to execute a task or, you know, but now more so the level of empathy that they can actually execute on both with an employee and a customer. And when I think about some of the best managers, you know, I've ever met, you know, parts, sales, service, I don't care where, you know, um, their ability to deploy empathy like that. And just, it just really, it's great for the customer. It's amazing for the staff. So I'm with you on that for sure. Hey guys, we, uh, we spoke about, about that the last podcast as well, Jason. And Camera was you or me who said it, but and I've used it continuously in in courses and conversations, and even with my kids in their in some of their well-being tasks that the school have given them. And empathy is caring about what the people you care about care about. It's caring about what the people you care about care about, and without our staff and caring about their needs and their wants and their health, they're never going to perform for you. They want they want to follow a leader. How can we expect them to? Like it's just it's just simply not fair. Like I mean, you know, it's like you know, I want to know how much you care before you tell me what you know. You know, like it, it's it, for service advisors, it's the same thing. Like, I mean, it's like they have to deploy the best service advisor I've ever met. And Karen, you know this too. It's, and Ruby, you've seen this too yourself too. You know, it's like the best service advisors out there know how to deploy empathy. You know, the per you're going to have to go over and tell the person that it's a $2,000 service bill. Oh boy. That's about as much of a punch in the gut as you can give someone. If you're not able to deploy empathy in that conversation, then you're kind of lost. So, you know, I, I, I definitely think coming out of this because of the social impact um, that COVID-19 has had in our industry is that I, I think I, I agree with both of you here on this one is that it, that that is just going to be a mandate you know, I, I think we're gonna we're going to see more deploying of empathy in our sales processes and our service processes and our parts processes. You know, um, I've even seen in the marketing now. You know, before let's admit it, guys, all of our marketing was huge discounts, low lease rates. You know, buy now. You know, that's always in our marketing. And now I've seen a lot of marketing messages like, well, you know, if you have to buy a car right now, all right, I can help. Here's how I can help. And then let me tell you about the incentives and offers. You know, if, if you have to service your car right now, we got you. Okay. Let me tell you how you can do that. And then I'll tell you about this, you know, the it maybe offers or discounts or other additional services I have. Right. So, but, but what hasn't changed there, Jason, sorry to cut across, no, what no. hasn't changed there is that the, the manager or the, the tyrant who was a dictator before COVID and is now all of a sudden a, a carer and, full of empathy 
you're never going to follow that person because they you, they never cared in the first place. So they can't just wing it now and make it up as they go along. They had to have had that empathy bone in their body from the very start. And you, you can't just turn that on. And that's where that's what's great about this again to put a silver lining on COVID is that is that the leaders like just just like Ruby and just like yourself, Jason, the, the leaders must shine through. And those who those who aren't willing to lead their teams and to give back and to like I had a manager the other day, I spoke to him, and he's he's working five days a week and his staff are all working for, working three days and he's Again, the whole the whole group is working three days a week. He's in there five, and he's giving his time. He's not charging for his two days, or he's not getting paid for his two days. But he's in there, and he's making sure that his staff are are, are treated well. He's making sure that they're comfortable. He's making sure that they're communicated with. And I, mean, I I just I just commended him for his leadership skills and for, for how far he's come and for his, his sincerity in in how he cares for his staff. Because when they when everything goes back to normal, they're going to love him for that. And it's not about monetary rewards for him in the future. But it's about how many lives he's affecting right now, not just the people, but their families, their loved ones, their kids. And that that's really, really important, in my opinion. No, it's during times like this where we see who our real leaders are in our industry, and I think we're beginning to to do that right now. We'll see that over the next six to eight months as this continues to evolve. Um, guys, I know we're getting towards the end of our time today, so thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. But before I let you guys go, I get to ask you my favorite question. Now, I prepped you both for this before we started, so my expectations are high. No, I'm just messing with you. Um, <laughs> but Ruby, I'm going to start off with you. My favorite question of the day. Ruby, what is pissing you off? Well, um, I don't usually get pissed off easily, but the thing that really pisses me off is um, the WHO. They have sent us conflicting messages from the beginning. And it really, I think a lot of the stuff that's happening around the world could have been, could, like, could have been prevented have they told us from the get-go of just wear face covering. Um, this is an airborne disease or illness that people can get contracted through just from talking. Um, so the mixed messages from the WHO really impacted um, globally in terms of what's happening around the world right now. And I think, um, I, I know this is, COVID-19 is new, they're still figuring out, but to not call it pandemic in an early on stage and then call it pandemic at a stage where it's a little bit too late, I think this is this has really crippled the whole entire world, and that's what pisses me off is the WHO. I, you know what? I think you and millions of others will fall into that same bucket. Thanks, Ruby. All right, Kieran, you are up, sir. What is pissing you off? What's pissing me off? Well, as I said, I'm homeschooling my kids at the moment, and. <laughs> It's not the kids who are pissing me off. It again, <laughs> I know this might be, I know this is recorded and so forth. I'm not going to get, not going to name any names here, but the, the, the quality of the, how do I put this? The quality of the, of the content that is being sent out by the school for my prep and grade one is, is average at best. The communication has been shit, like rubbish. I have. We're in, I'm in a small group with a with some parents on on on, uh, on Messenger, and 
again, being in the learning industry, I know what is good quality communication. I know what's shit I was saying. What we're getting from them is is quite poor. So what's been pissing me off is the is that the assumption that everything is rosy. You get a daily email from the principal saying, oh, things are great, blah, 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 and never ask for feedback. So I, I didn't get asked for any feedback, but I gave a shit ton of it recently, and the <laughs> assistant principal got it in the neck from me. Well, 1.5 meter distance. I didn't uh, go any closer than that. And I gave my feedback. I gave what should be required or should, should be done, in my, in my opinion, and based on the parents that I'm getting feedback from as well. I think I'm running for school council next year as well. I've been I've been nominated, and yeah. Long story short, there's a there's a shitload of coloring in a shitload of basic mathematics, and it's very very low level. And now I'm wondering why they go to school five days a week when I smashed out this week's schooling in in four four hours with, with both kids five days a week. What's going on? So yeah. That's pissing me off at the moment, as you can tell by the <laughs> Dude, I love it. But you know what, though? I, I, I'm with you on that, though. Um, you know, I, I'm finding, you know, I got the three kids and, um, you know, my, my, my son's schooling. I'm like, really? Connect the dots? You, you're kidding me, right? Like, this is educational. Like, I ordered books on Amazon that like so i so you can actually you know go through mathematics and some literature and you know reading um my, my daughter on the other hand the teacher's doing a great job of giving her stuff so i, I think there is there's a lot of inconsistencies out yeah, there but i think like every industry including ours we just talked about that the the cream yeah. is rising to the top is that a universal statement that kind of go, works everywhere i guess you know it's like we're beginning to see who are the true leaders in every single business in every single industry um hey guys thanks uh but uh, before we sign off, though, um, uh, for people out there watching and listening and would love to connect with you guys, uh, real quick, what is the best way to do so? Ruby, I'll start with you. Um, my email is ruby at acrapickering.com, and I'm the general manager at Acra Pickering. Awesome. Hey, uh, Kieran, for yourself, what is the best way to connect with you, sir? Ruby, some advice for you is to give your your, your LinkedIn handle and your connections will just go out of control. That's what happened the last time, Jason. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's definitely a LinkedIn is for me is the, is the network I'm, I hang out in and you'll find me on LinkedIn under Kieran Stack, add me, connect and send a video. just like Jason does. It's uh, I haven't I haven't stopped that Jason it's been a it's been a game changer. That's good. That's good. I I send a lot of connect videos and I still do. Um gosh, I'd probably do more video now than ever and I will ensure at the bottom of this video and in the comments to include both your guys' LinkedIn connections cuz you know this is a great time to connect and continue this conversation and sharing great ideas. Um guys, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. You have yourself a great day. <laughs>